0: In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Wonderful to see you all. Turns out our lector, Ron Wesner, over there, uh, sent me an email the other day with this subject heading, A Prayer Worthy of a Sermon. I don't know if you knew that I was preaching uh, this week, Ron, but... I got it. The email contained an excerpt from a prayer by President Zelensky of Ukraine, uh, who was visiting the Orthodox Easter service in Kyiv last week, which was Orthodox Easter. He said, our hearts are full of fierce fury. Our souls are full of fierce hatred for the invaders and all that they have done. As I read that prayer, I stumbled over that word hatred. Ooh, Our souls are full of fierce hatred. I found myself, yeah, let's admit it, I'm a white, privileged, American, liberal guy who has never known war. Um, and on top of that, I'm a, a guy who grew up in Minnesota where we never talk about hating anyone ever. So I found myself wrestling with Zelensky's honest expression of righteous hatred. Is it okay to hate the invaders, I wondered? I mean, aren't we supposed to be like Jesus, who forgave even those who nailed him to the cross? How are we supposed to love our enemies even as we shoot at them? Then I read the whole prayer over again, and I saw that Zelensky was not trying to justify or excuse his hatred. It was just a fact. Of course, he has hatred. He'd be a liar if he pretended otherwise. But his prayer is reaching for something so much bigger. It's a heartfelt plea to God to not let the war kill what they love most. Don't let fury destroy us from within, he said. Don't let us lose ourselves. Don't let us lose our longing for freedom. This is the terrible truth of war, so beautifully expressed in this prayer, that it so violently rips the world into two parts, you know? Friends and foes, enemies and allies, The middle ground becomes the battlefield. And strangely, paradoxically, while you're defending everything that you love, your home, your family, your freedom, you cannot help but be consumed by a furious, righteous hatred, a hatred that lives in service to your love. I can't help but imagine a Ukrainian soldier maybe a sniper, who maybe this very moment has a Russian soldier in his sights. He gets a good look at him. He sees that the Russian soldier is just a kid, a skinny kid, scared out of his wits, forced into this army, hasn't eaten a decent meal in weeks, just wants to go home to his mom's borscht. In that moment, I imagine the Ukrainian sniper feels love for his enemy. His heart goes out to him, and then he pulls the trigger. That's war, this unbearable confusion of love and hate. We kill what we love in order to protect a greater love. For the rest of his life, that Ukrainian sniper will be haunted by this tragic confusion. And he will hate himself for what he had to do in the name of love. Well, before he became Paul the Apostle, his name was Saul of Tarsus, a brilliant rabbinical student and a notorious warrior against the early Christians. He was a man so in love with his religion that a furious hatred burned against anyone who threatened it. In the name of his love, he was willing to kill, and he did. In this story from the book of Acts, he's implicated in in this stoning of Stephen. And on his way to Damascus, He's on his way to capture more heretics. That's when he's struck by that famous blinding light and the voice of Jesus asking, Saul, why do you persecute me? And suddenly, this deep confusion of love and hate, that is the psychology of a warrior, is thrown into new perspective. Suddenly, Saul's love for Judaism, for the law, for the magnificent and ancient customs and rituals and culture that is his entire world his love for all that is thrown into perspective by this greater love this source of all love and in that instant in that instant the war is over for Saul There's no longer any confusion of love and hate. That confusion is completely obliterated by the power of this primary love, which is the love for not not for any particular thing, but for everything all at once. No boundaries or divisions, no compromises or confusions. This is the uncreated light that does not cast shadows. This is the love that trumps all secondary loves, like love for a homeland, love for a religion, love for a family. This is the love that has no room for hatred, even when that hatred paradoxically claims to be in service to love. This is the love that would inspire Roman soldiers to lay down their swords and return to their farms. In the early church, only pacifists, were baptized. And for Paul, it meant submitting himself to the very persecutions he himself inspired, no longer spewing hatred in defense of the things he loved, no longer defending himself from anyone or anything, accepting his death as the final expression of love that carried its own special grace Paul was no longer held in the confusing paradox of love and hate, which is war. This week, as I sat with this guy, Saul, and his conversion experience, I wanted to get a little bit of perspective on his conversion, so I picked up a book that I hadn't looked at since college William James's The Varieties of Religious Experience. This book is filled with all kinds of stories of conversion, some of them spiritual and deeply religious. Interestingly, sometimes some of them not so much spiritual. But for a great many of them, the conversion is preceded by a conflict that eats away at a person on the deepest level of their being. It's people of deep faith tormented by a sense of sin, It's alcoholics battling their need for inebriation. It's romantics in love with their their abusers. All of them in the grip of a love that sets them against themselves. These are people who feel divided internally at war with themselves. St. Augustine described this war within him. These two wills, He said, one old, one new, one carnal, one spiritual, contended with each other and disturbed my soul. On a deep intuitive level, Augustine sensed that a resolution to his conflict was available to him. And yet for years, he just wasn't ready to take that step. He said he felt like a man heavy with sleep, trying to answer the call to awaken but only able to say, yes, presently, wait a little while. But he said the presently had no present, and the little while grew long. Hesitating to die to death and live to life, the evil to which I was so accustomed held me more than the better life I had not tried. Paul put the conflict in similar terms. I do not understand my own actions, he said, for I do not not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Elsewhere, he famously spoke of a thorn in his side, some kind of internal torment sent by the devil, he said. And what's interesting is that whatever this thorn in the side was, it did not disappear after his conversion. Saul could change his name to Paul, but he was still that same guy, you know, with all of that intensity and passion and brilliance. Much of it, I suspect, offered in performance to distract himself and others from that thorn in his side. But what did change in Paul was his attitude toward that thorn in his side. It was no longer something he had to deny and secretly battle. Instead, as one who has been transformed by the source of love, he came to an acceptance of it as an instrument of God's grace. That thorn became a gift to him, keeping him humble, expanding his capacity to love, giving him insight into the constant need that we all have to open ourselves to the forgiving love of God, a love that makes even murderers, like Saul, worthy of forgiveness. He was no longer at war with himself, in other words. Through the grace of God's love, he was able to love even the thorn in his side. You know, like everyone else, I'm just completely saddened and troubled and worried about the war in Ukraine. It's the kind of tragedy that sends us to our knees rather than to the pulpit. This sermon is just more of a prayer than it is a a sermon. And I just pray for the people of Ukraine. I pray for President Zelensky, for all the victims of violence. And I pray for President Putin that he, too, might be brought to his knees by the overwhelming power of God's love. Because I have to believe that just like Saul, he, too, is at war with himself. Somewhere inside him, there is the voice of Jesus asking, Vladimir, why do you persecute me? It's not for me to ever underestimate the power of God, so... I pray for that voice to rise in him. I pray for all the soldiers on both sides incurring moral injury. I pray that the love of Christ will bring them deep repentance and forgiveness. And for all the civilians who are dying and starving or fleeing destruction, I also pray that they may find God's grace the source of all love, washing over them like the warm rays of the sun after a long gray winter. May it be so. And may we all one day finally, please God finally learn how to live in peace. Amen.